Thank you for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics Podcast. Today's topic is the costs of protecting teens online. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Tom Giovanetti, the president of the Institute for Policy Innovation. With our IPI Policy Basics podcast, we are building an audio reference library on basic policy concepts and topics for those who want to learn and understand how to think about policy from a free market conservative standpoint, or for those who simply need to get up to speed on a particular discrete issue. Today, I'm joined in studio by IPI resident scholar, Dr. Merrill Matthews, and by IPI research fellow, Bartlett Clellan. And today, we're going to talk about the efforts at both the state and federal level to implement age verification systems on social media platforms. So Bartlett, this is something that uh, we've been tracking for a couple of years now uh, at both the state and federal level. Um, While these policy basics uh, podcasts are intended to be sort of like independent of of particular timeframes, there was a hearing last week at the federal level in Congress where uh, some of the CEOs of some of the social media platforms were dragged before a congressional committee and where uh, Senator Josh Hawley actually pressured Mark Zuckerberg of Meta to turn around and apologize to some, some parents and some demonstrators for supposed harms online. We have been tracking, you've been tracking particularly, legislation at a lot of state levels that are designed to, quote-unquote, protect children online or protect kids online. Um, IPI, both you and I have testified before various states and various legislative sessions on this issue. Uh, And we wanted to sort of talk in depth today about some of the problems and some of these sort of unanticipated consequences of these efforts, right? Uh, And so I want to tell our listeners that uh, there's a tech bite, one of our weekly email publications. There's a tech bite on our website with the same title, The Cost of Protecting Teens Online. So you can look at that. But we want to do sort of an extended discussion based on that tech bite today. And Bartlett, one of the first points you make is that there's already federal legislation called COPPA, mm-hmm. right? The Children's Online Privacy Act. This is federal legislation that regulates the essentially the privacy, the data collection of children under 13 years of age. That's right. And so that already exists. So when we look at these state bills, they talk about we want to protect our kids and our children. Not that teens are not children, but essentially what we're talking about is teenagers. Right. We're not. um, What you will often hear said is implications of protecting children much younger than teenagers. Right. Um, with the notion that, in, in fact, uh, very rapidly testimony uh, from folks who favor such schemes as, as age verification uh, will start talking about eight and nine-year-olds being exposed to um, horrible material. I mean, mm-hmm. I, there's no other way to say it. Um, but, of course, that is neither here nor there in this case because uh, the law that's been around for quite a while uh does not allow for collecting of data about those who are under 13, so under teenager. Mm-hmm. It turns out that to implement, implement a system like that, um, first of all, you've got tons of liability. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, it's just expensive 
uh, because of the need for so much touching, so much uh, hand-holding, essentially, to to make sure that certain information isn't coming from certain accounts. Yeah. Uh, that they simply, most social media sites, uh, if you were to say, I'm 12, they say, well, yeah. thank you, but you can't have an yeah. account. This, this is really important because this federal law already contains penalties. Yes. Right? And so the social media companies, they genuinely do not want under 13-year-olds to be on their platforms. Yeah, cor- well, correct. You, yeah. you you can't indicate an age that is sub, in in most yeah. cases, I mean, I've not checked every platform, yeah. but um, sub 13, it will not allow you to set up an account. Yeah, so you can't make the argument that the social media platforms are purposely trying to lure in our eight-year-olds. Well, you can't because credibly. Because they have absolutely no incentive to do that. Right, you can't credibly make that. So people do make that argument. They either are being... Horribly cynical yeah. and hiding behind children, mm. um, and not really wanting to solve a problem, or they're just utterly ignorant and haven't tried these things out themselves. Yeah. Okay. So we're really talking about teenagers. Yes. And that's I mean, that doesn't minimize things, but totally that, legit. They're but not that's age just, of majority. Yes. They, exactly. Right, right. But that's just there's some level setting we have to do that we're not talking about nine year olds. We're talking about teenagers. We're talking about. Now, I happened to start high school when I was thirteen. I know that's usually eighth grade. I think mm. for most kids. Um, so, but we are kind of talking about high schoolers. Yeah, yeah. At okay. the end of the day, exactly. Okay. So, having sort of established that we're talking about teenagers, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that I mean, you know, we still want to protect our teenagers from harm sure. to the degree that we can, right? So, what you have got going on first at the state level, but you know, increasingly there's there's um, sentiment and activity at the federal level to do something similar, and this is this issue of age verification. Okay. Now, you and I have both testified on this issue in various states, and we have both tried to point out to legislators when we have testified that this is harder than you think it is. And and there are some consequences of this that you may not have anticipated. And uh, I always start off, and I think you've mentioned this as well. Well, you mentioned this on the Tech Bite. Like, if you were to go to a, um, to a liquor website, if you were to go to Anheuser-Busch or, like, in my case, if you were to go to, like, Buffalo Trace <laughs> or something like that. The first thing that happens when you go to the website is there's a pop-up splash page. Mm-hmm. Are you 21 or older? Yes, no. Right. Or put in your birthday. Yeah. And if you click on no, or if your birthday indicates that you're less than 21, they say, thanks so much for your interest, and they divert you somewhere else. Right. They don't let you on the website. And if you say, yes, I am, boom, you're in. Correct. Okay. I think a lot of people think that's age verification, but it should be obvious to anyone thinking about this that that's the easiest thing in the world to get around. There's nothing stopping a 14-year-old from clicking on yes. Correct. It, it also is not what the legislation is well, asking yeah. no, for. No, no I, I right. want to get to I that. Know, but yeah. but I, I want to be but mm-hmm. it's twofold. It's not just people think because I do think even after they've introduced the legislation, mm-hmm. you will hear legislators literally say, well, how hard can it be? Right. I go to Anheuser-Busch, I'm making this up, yeah, I don't yeah. know if they ever said Anheuser-Busch, but you go to the Anheuser-Busch page and you just say yes or no. I'm like, well, but that's not what the legislation says. So yeah. uh, my point is, it's not just maybe some listeners out there who have not thought about this topic before. These are people who are introducing the legislation yeah. and then still insist either cynically or they just haven't read their own legislation yeah. or thought through it that that is what they're 
that they're introduced. That's yeah. what they intend. The, the the point I want to make is that that is impotent as far as age verification goes. Yeah, well, it's not age verification at exactly, all. Exactly, exactly. Other than self. It, well, it's an honor system the, kind it, of a thing, it, it, right? You know. Sure. Okay. But so, it's not verification. In, yeah. in the meaning of the word verification, it's not that. And that's where we want to go, right? right? Because as it turns out, you can't verify age standalone. You you can't verify age without verifying identity. Fair? Correct. And, and by the way, you said something at the beginning I wanted to, to note as well. Uh, you said that some, that people say, well, this isn't, or this is harder than it appears. I don't think it's that hard. It's not hard technologically, mm. or uh, it, I guess it is hard sociologically. Um, and people don't like to admit up front all that it will involve. Yeah. Now, and I think that's the tee up for yeah. right now where you're, where you're headed. So with I, I, I should have used the word invasive rather than yeah, harder. That, that's it's a much, more yes. invasive than you think. Correct. Now, now you served years ago, you served representing IPI on the attorney general's child safety task force. Child online safety task force. Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I hope I'm sorry think, if that dredges actually, up nightmares. Actually, I think it's even a longer name than that. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was it was special. And I went to a couple of those meetings as well, right? And so this age verification issue goes all the way back to there. Well, at least back to there. That was yeah. my that was my space. So that was um, I believe that was in 2008, maybe yeah. it's 2009, something like and, that. And there were companies that were really into this, and they were like, yeah, yeah, we need to require age verification, because they sold age verification I was going to say, they services. were age verification right. software they were, companies. They were vendors, right? And the exact same discussion happened then yeah. that and, should be happening now. <laughs> and so it turned out that what they did was not age verification, not it was identity true. verification. That's right. And what they would do, and, and they were quite blatant explaining this, is you're going to enter your full legal name. You're going to give us your driver's license number and your state. You're going to give us your social security number. You're going to give us a physical address. And we are going to check that against state property tax records. We're going to check that against the federal social security database. We're going to check that against the state driver's license database. We're going to check voting records. These are all public databases. We're going to check you against all those things. And then, yeah, absolutely. The technology exists. We can verify that you're who you are. We can verify that the information that they have received uh, is all about a person who is a real person who lives at, I think, at the address that mm -hmm. I'm trying to go mm -hmm. through all the things you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Address of the, that, that they can verify. But that doesn't eliminate identity theft. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And it does not actually tell you still that the person operating the computer is the person for whom all that information right, applies. Right. Okay. So at so the, at the, at the first level we've established that simple age verification simply doesn't work. Right? Like the 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 liquor website, yeah, right? Right, right. So then you've got like a second level which which the technology absolutely exists to verify the identity of a person. You just don't know that it's the person who's entering the information. Correct. It doesn't preclude identity theft, right? Correct. So then the question becomes... Let me skip to a quick example yeah, so yeah, people yeah. follow this. The, the Think about your driver's license. People, I, I can imagine, have been in these conversations, people say, wait, wait, you know that information, then you absolutely know that Bartlett Clellan is Bartlett Clellan. Okay, but the only way... So now we take all that information and we produce, let's say, a driver's license. Mm -hmm. um, because if you go to the DMV... I don't remember exactly what you need. In fact, I have a laughable story about what you need. But putting that aside, you need things like 
your your uh, passport, um, a birth certificate, mm-hmm. um, a bill, you know, like a, a, the the power bill to your to show that you live at that address. Then they take all this information and they essentially distill that into the driver's license. Okay, but what has happened at that moment? I've stood in front of a person. Here's my face. They have these various have a photograph. Th- that's right. right. They have various forms of information that says I am who I am, along with a photograph of right. me. So they now take another photograph, and they basically are saying, we've reviewed all of this information, and now we've given Bartlett this license, which now can be used as a legal identifier in other situations. Or people have accepted that, I should right. say, right. in other situations. Um, a passport is even, or can be even more intrusive. You have a very strict list of what the government says. Here's what we will need for you to prove you are who you say you are. But in mm-hmm. all those cases, you were in front of somebody. Yeah. And, and what's really interesting about all those cases you mentioned is that a photograph is involved. The, it's not just data, right? Right. And, it, you know, when you when you go through the TSA line at the airport and they you hand their ID, they look up and they look at you. Ninety nine. In fact, during COVID, they would say, "Please lower your mask." Right. That's right. So they are doing a form of, you know, it's not technically biometric. You know what I mean? But but it's they're not only looking at the data you submitted; they're comparing the photograph to the person standing in front of them. Just saw today that ninety nine percent of people who go into airports are identified via facial recognition, mm. whether you know it or not. Mm. So not a not just that layer of security; there are additional layers of security. Yeah. Based on the same, yeah. So it's so it's not enough to just have superficial age verification. You can only verify identity, not age. You can't even verify identity just simply based on accurate data, because you don't know who's supplying you with the data. So this is why you bring up in your tech bite this idea that you almost have to go to biometrics to know that the person submitting the data is the person for whom that data applies. Right. right? To meet the goals of much of the legislation. Yeah. I, I come at this slightly differently, but your points are completely valid. I come at this as you have a child, because remember we're talking about child, and I'm mm-hmm. putting big air quotes here because mm-hmm. everyone can see those on, right. on the podcast. Right. Um, but a teenager says, I would like a social media account. Dad says, Okay. So now, first of all, I have to have kid. Kid is going to have this account going forward. Mm. So if I'm the social media, I have to know this is a kid account. Right. Right? So I have to supply, here's this kid, here's how old this kid is, here's where this kid lives. I don't know what all they will need exactly to prove a kid. That's a really tricky one to me because kid doesn't even have driver's license in some of these cases, Mm -hmm. right? So the 13, 14, 15-year-old, um, and and listen, no one requires you to have a driver's license, right. so it could be any of these. Right. Then the second thing you need, and this is what we've now been spending time on, is the adult who is going to okay this kid's account. So you've right. collected the kid's information. Now we're talking about this adult's information. So now we've collected a bunch of information about an adult. So imagine an avatar or imagine a ghost because we've verified that there is the there is such a person as Bart LeCullen. He is out there somewhere. We have the data. We know he lives here. We know here's his driver's license, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now I have to know that Bart LeClellan is actually saying it's okay for kid account right. to have the account. So now you have to document somehow the relationship. Well, then that's the next layer. Okay. 
Because I first of all have to, so th- this first one goes to your point of do we need biometrics? I need to know that Bart LeClellan, I know he exists, is he the person who said it's okay for that kid to have an account? Then the next layer is, it's just a kid. Who is this kid? Right. Is it, how, and who is this Bart LeClellan? Is Bart LeClellan an uncle? Is Bart LeClellan the next door neighbor? Is Bart LeClellan a total stranger? Right. Is Bart LeClellan a teacher? Who is Bart LeClellan? Coach. Do they have, you know, right. yeah, right. yeah, do yeah, they yeah. have the, uh, some relationship to the kid? All right. Now we have to look at the law and say, hmm, what relationships are we going to allow to verify an account mm-hmm. or to prove an account? Well, let's just assume, let's make it easy. You have to be a parent or a guardian. Yeah. Right. Like just to keep it easy, mm-hmm. you could imagine that laws would allow for coaches, like debate coaches or whatnot, to give access in certain circumstances, whatever. Mm-hmm. But keep it simple for a moment, as if this is simple. Now I need. To, how do I know that this person, Bart LeClellan, has the authority, right, right, to verify this again? Now I know he's the, the some relationship to that kid, but he's. I've got to know it, he's the parent. So now I need a birth certificate. Or something yeah. that says you are the parent. And by the way, it needs to be unencumbered by things like custody battles. Right. right. Or in the case of a foster kid that I don't even know who has the authority. I mean, theoretically, the state has the authority, right. I would think. Right. I mean, ultimately it does. The state is raising these kids. So now you've got maybe like the director of the foster care facility. Maybe. I don't know who, who is goes not to. related in any way to the child. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't know who gives <laughs> such authority. Maybe it's the foster parents. But it, right. it, but then the kid, we know kids change constantly in those situations mm-hmm. that, where they stay. Yeah. So maybe they're on social media and then they're not. I don't know. So the, the it, it and I that actually doesn't even take us to the very end of this conversation. That's just getting the darn account set up in the first place. Right. So when they say when you hear and you will hear this is a really simple ask. We just want to protect our kids online. Right. Bravo. Absolutely. We should be doing things who, as a culture. Who should be opposed to that? And and I, and I think they're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. They go they go wonky or wacky when they suggest that government is the solution to this challenge yeah. of protecting children. Yeah. And we don't have a culture set up where that that is the case. So, the, one of the main points that we're trying to make here is that. There is an unbelievable level of complexity that's involved in achieving the goal of these legislators, of this legislation, or or organizations that are pushing this. Yeah, kind largely of thing. pushed by a couple different um, yeah conservative organizations. Exactly. So there's there's a there's a either they're ignorant of the complexity or they're purposely downplaying the complexity. Okay? Correct. Now, so the next logical step here, of course, is that there is legal liability on the companies. To comply. To comply. Right. Because there are fines right? and whatnot yes, yes. imposed when you mess up. So we're, we're telling you what you have to do. We're ignoring the complexity, and we're saying, and if you mess up, there's significant legal liability. That's right. So I was walking us through, and you're walking us through, what has to happen to meet the standard to, so that you could feel comfortable opening the account. Mm-hmm. But then after that account is opened, the liability doesn't go away. Right. Uh, actually, I heard uh, at a hearing in, in uh, Missouri this week, someone asked a, a great question, like, oh, it was a legislator who's just trying to understand, like, the, the levels of complication. You're like, well, every time you sign on to account, do you have to do all this information again? Right, because right. 
maybe someone new came into your house. Right. So I don't know. Do you need to go through this whole rigmarole every time? And then he said, well, wait a second. I guess you'd have to do that for myself if I was logging right. on over and over. So it's another thing to think about. What ultimately this becomes is everybody who wants a social media account, everybody, whoever out there is listening to this right now, mm-hmm. if you would like to have a social media account in the future, and this in the future would include these proposals, you would have to provide all that information, even if there's no kid right. anywhere in your orbit you of might, any way, you shape, m- or form. You might be 67 years old, but you essentially have to prove that you're not 14. Correct. Yeah. And you might have to keep proving it every time you log on. Right. We, that that is unclear in most of these in most of these laws. So but but every time there is a new account, what's a company going to do? Companies will say we abided by the law. Yeah. Now we're going to make sure that everyone knows we abided by it. We're going to keep all this information because when someone comes back and says, Oh my goodness, I think my kid was online with social yeah. media account, they've got to say, uh uh-uh. uh. We stopped that okay, account. So, okay, so let, let, let's hold off logically for the moment on this idea of storage because it's really important. Yep. But before you get to – so we've talked about the submission of all this stuff. We ought to at least make the point that as of today, best practices as far as online privacy goes is that this kind of personally identifiable information is the specific stuff we don't want them collecting, right? right. And, and in fact, we – for anybody who talks to their kids about being on, hopefully you have mentioned to them yeah. – you don't give this kind of That's information exactly right. to anybody online because you never know who you're talking if somebody's to. somebody's <laughs> asking you for this kind of information, that should throw up a red flag. Right. That is today's stranger danger. Yeah. So what is, what, what, what is happening right now is we're flipping the whole idea of online privacy on its head. We're, we're, we're doing a 180. We're saying up to this point, no one should ask you for this information. Now you have government mandating. Correct. That this information be asked for and required. Correct. And so that's not a small shift in just sort of like the overall relationship that we have to the Internet and and toward data communications. And put that way, and let me now steal the thunder from the other side, Mm -hmm. you're asking for our children's information, not just generally batched information of we know there's this account who likes kittens. Right. I have personally identifying information with address, et cetera, maybe VPN address, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, IP address, mm-hmm. et cetera, all listed somewhere. Yeah. So if you want to talk about protecting kids, this is an awfully weird way of yeah. going about doing it. Yeah. But you're, you're, yes. you're, you're, you're putting an enormous, you're mandating an enormous amount of data be collected. And now let's talk about storage. Okay. Right. And stored. Okay. Now, as you have pointed out, some of these bills also mandate that the, the information not be stored. Yeah. Uh, humorously. Which is so, ridiculous. Say you have to collect it, but not store it. Right. So, so, you know, the, the legislation puts enormous legal liability on the companies. So how are they going to be able to prove that they complied with the law? Right. The only way they can prove they've complied with the law is by storing the information. That's right. For at least as long as there's a statute of limitations. Right. So at least that long. I don't know. There might be other considerations here uh, that I've not even thought of yet. But at the very least, they're going to have to hold on to that information. The, wor- the, the, the horrible law, or as proposed and happened to have been proposed in Missouri, uh, the one I read, was then you can't hold that information at all. Right. Well, I'm like, well, well first of all, just mechanically, that's weird yeah. because the chances of you getting this whole deluge of information in one setting when it's going to require as much information as we've gone through yeah. is 
probably not. It's probably one of those forms where it says you've completed A and uh, C and R, and you need to come back and fill in all these others. So it might be over time you're uploading, scanning mm-hmm. your most private documents into uh, yeah. a database. So they're going to have to store the information for some amount of time just to prove the address. So first of all, to absolutely not store it is almost silly. But number two, to think that any general counsel in their right mind would say we're not going to store the information to protect ourselves from what inevitably will right. be lawsuits yeah. is also crazy. How could you possibly, as a social media platform, defend yourself in court Correct. if you were not permitted to maintain the data that proves your innocence you prove or your whatever? Innocence, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right about now, Dr. Matthews is thinking... Boy, I'm sure glad I raised my kids in the era before social media. <laughs> but wait, but see, this is the point. And, and I forget how old they are exactly. They're in their 30s, is that right? 40s. 40s. But if they have a social media account, unless you're 40s, they might be Facebook people. It still they, affects them, they, right? It still yeah, affects yeah, them. Exactly, their yeah. information will still be online. Yeah, this, this affect, yeah th- that's a really important point to, to emphasize. This affects everybody, not just teenagers, right? Th- that's right. So, Bartlett, up to this point, we've really been talking about sort of just like the the operational problems of implementing this kind of identity verification. Right. But there's other there's other issues as well, right? Because, for instance, uh, these proposals do away with anonymity, absolutely, on the internet, which you know any given individual might not think that's a big problem, but there are legitimate reasons why people would want anonymity on the internet. A hundred percent. There, there are great reasons, and then honestly, you shouldn't have to have a reason, right? Because that is baked into our Bill of Rights. Well, see, this is and, what I was going to say. And, yeah. and uh, anyone who has even is even kind of familiar mm-hmm. with Federalist Papers knows Publius, right? Um, there were there are plenty of great uh, historical and deeply, um, deeply rooted. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, a more ethical issues in the founding of the country yeah. that are rooted around anonymity. Yeah. But there are also really good reasons. Abused wives, uh, battered children, um, people who are just political trying to... Activists, that, political activists, uh, that, right. whistleblowers. That's right, who you know. just want to start over right, and don't want their accounts to in any way, shape, or form be attached to what has happened in the past. Yeah. And you're taking away that protection from these people. Um, and so there are, I mean, I mean, listen, there are all kinds of ethical and moral considerations that I think go very, very much to the heart of who we are as an American people in these proposals, putting aside the political and putting aside it's free market or not. And like all that stuff is interesting and it is interesting. And I, and I think it's all compelling, but there are a lot deeper, um, issues to be grappled with here that frankly, um, I find it. What's the word? I find it unsettling, at yeah. the very least, that the organizations and the people who keep pushing this, and I've watched legislators who no more knew what they were introducing than the man in the moon. Right. And it's clear that they have been propped up by some, riled up by some group who have sold them a bill of goods, and they are out pitching this policy in state capitals, and they have not begun to think about the implications. If the organizations haven't, then honestly, shame on them. They're not very good, but I think they have. And I don't think their motivations are we want to protect teenagers because parents don't seem to be able to protect them. So we think government should try. Yeah. I don't think, which is the nicest thing I can say about the bills, um, I, I don't even think that is the motive. I think the motivation 
is how do we shut down organizations, technologies, companies that we don't like via leveraging the legislative process? Yeah, you, you cannot help but be suspect because you and I both had the experience of sort of explaining. We've really emphasized the operational problems and the implementation problems here in this podcast. But you and I both had the experience of doing this with legislators. Yes. And they don't care. They don't care. And so it, it opens up the question, okay, so what is your motivation, right? And if you think about it, there's there's no particular reason why politicians and elected officials should like social media, because very often social media is a, is a thorn in their side, right? It's a place where they get criticized. It's a place where they get trashed, where they get, uh, where, you know, people in their own district uh, give them a hard time. Um, and the only people that the politicians hear from are the angry parents. They don't hear from so much the people who have built successful businesses on social media platforms. They don't hear from people who the only, because of a disability or because they're homebound or something, the only, the only connection they have with the outside world, the only connection they have with their childhood and high school friends is through social media. I mean, there are enormous goods here that are never discussed. The only thing that is discussed is these alleged harms that come from social media platforms. And for some weird reason, there's almost no discussion of parental responsibility. That's right. In, which, in fact, you get it thrown the other direction when you talk about this. is Well, we just can't put all the responsibility on the parents, to which I always say, well, I never meant to imply it was all there. Right. But I do think they are the major linchpin in this, in I, this solution. I, I, it's, it's, it's the parent's job to keep your kid from putting the hand on a hot stove. Right. It's a parent's kid to keep your kid from sticking their tongue in an electrical outlet. It's your parent's job to keep your kid from sneaking into the liquor cabinet. These are parental responsibilities, and an awful lot of this, I think, is being driven by parents who simply don't want to have to confront their kids, I always and enjoy, they'd rather blame the government. I always enjoy asking legislators if they know any 13-year-olds that can afford a $1,000 phone, because yeah. they love to blame the phone. Right. And right. I'm thinking, well, well, how in the world do they get that phone? And then they stare at you, because they know you're right. At yeah, the end of the day. yeah. This has nothing to do. Government didn't put the phone in their hand. They didn't find the phone on the street. And the social media companies didn't send them folks. And, and to your point about it not being exclusively parental responsibility, almost all of these platforms have built into themselves parental controls. And a lot of parental control. If you, if you want to buy your 15-year-old a smartphone, uh, you can set it up ex with exactly the apps that you want to allow, and you can make it to where that young person cannot install any new apps without your pass, without you signing on to it. These things all already exist. All we need is parents to, first of all, understand that they have these powers, and then for parents to have the courage to do it, instead of this idea that, well, it would just be easier if the government does it. And so what we're doing is, yet again, giving government more power over our lives, giving government more power over our families, giving government more power over the economy. And I remember not too long ago when conservatives thought that was a bad idea. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the IPI Policy Basics podcast. You can find a lot more about technology and internet policy at our website at ipi.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform? 
You can also help to sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time.